What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and this episode is going to be another compilation styled because lately I've been seeing a lot of patients and um, clients dealing with a lot of hip pain, and I've done multiple episodes about hip pain, so I thought it would be a good idea to put them all together so you have a reference guide. So we go over anatomy, we go over possible scenarios of different hip pain, um, what exercises to do, what exercises to avoid. And on top of that, I also added another episode about knee pain because I will explain in this episode that a lot of times knee pain is influenced by your hip. So if your hip doesn't move the right way, your knee is going to go into all these different directions where it shouldn't with sheer forces, whatever exercise you do in the gym could influence um, heavily on that knee pain. So knees and hips are definitely interconnected. So I wanted to put all these three episodes together so you have one resource and you know bring these out of the archives because these are probably a year old now and they're still really, really good. And I'm excited to bring this out because a lot of times people are so quick with social media and the average person's not going to dig through all my stuff that I've put together in the past. So happy to bring these out. So if you are listening, highly recommend you click the link in the show notes to um, watch it because I go over a lot of demos and things like that. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to my YouTube channel. You're going to hear me say that throughout these three episodes. So be prepared and do so. So without further ado, here we go to the compilation episode for hip mobility, hip pain, hip exercises, everything related to the hip. Here we go. What is up, my podcast listeners and all my YouTube subscribers and watchers? I don't know what you want to be called, but my peeps on uh, YouTube and shout out again for everyone that has subscribed to my channel. Like I'm really close to 250 subscribers and you guys have been watching all of my stuff quite a bit. And I am really, really happy to see that you guys are enjoying my content. And another big shout out to Jason from RevFit for producing this t-shirt with my last name that's super, super long and it was able to fit on the shirt, which I was surprised and stoked about um, because you know what? It's been probably at least two or three years since I was on his podcast, um, actually promoting my first ebook, which by the way, the Ironclad Body Training System Volume 2, um, even though that was 4, 2, um, is on track for probably a late summer release. So keep an eye out for that. I'm super pumped. I'm in the editing stages right now and it's a beast. It's over a hundred thousand words. Yeah, there's a lot to it. But um, speaking of YouTube, I started getting a lot of comments on my videos and um, someone started mentioning about um, how to improve hip mobility. And if you watched my previous um, episodes, I kind of talked about hip pain in general and how to improve hip mobility. But for the sake of this episode, I'm going to go and show three mobility drills, three, that people need to be doing on a daily basis or at least like two to three times a week 
um, to really actually influence change at a muscular level. Cellular level, not a muscular level. I don't know what I was talking about that. But um, to kind of put in some context, so if you are a gym goer, fitness enthusiast that, you know, you like go on YouTube and you watched like how to improve my hip mobility and someone gives you a couple exercises and mobility drills and whatever it is, but that doesn't really actually change at a cellular level of how your hip is designed, moves and everything like that. What it does do is prep your hips for exercises and the exercise just, you know, kind of loosens the joint, lubricates it and gets it prepped and ready for an exercise that you choose to do that day. And the biggest one is like any hip mobility drill, there's some sort of like hip opener, some sort of hip flexor stretch, there's some sort of like uh, band that straps around your hip and you connect it to a fucking squat rack and it like yanks your hip socket and you get a deep like pigeon like stretch and sure like that will feel good in the moment but it's not actually doing you any justice for long-term adaptability and change so this is where the kin stretch principles go in and this is where it kind of all stems from the comments that I got from uh, a couple tutorial videos on um, hip flexion and you know, looking back at that specific exercise, like I am working, um, what's it called? Uh, hip external rotation with flexion, but I don't know, I could be wrong on this. I wouldn't spend that much time with hip flexion specifically if I had a goal of just improving overall hip mobility. I find that those hip flexors are kind of like already so yanked and tight. Um, getting into like hip flexion stuff i don't I, I haven't seen yet in my experience uh high payoff compared to focusing on hip internal rotation external rotation and hip extension those three are the ones that i usually attack first and then kind of pepper in um hip flexion specific stuff so when you look at things like uh, a barbell squat squats in general split squats lunges things like that those three are very much needed in order to do that. So I tend to spend my time focusing on that. Um, and I wanna go over three specific exercises that I teach in my kin stretch and that I do specifically almost on a daily basis to ensure that I'm constantly influencing um, tissue change. So the whole kind of concept behind kin stretch and I've done a whole um, episode on it is that I am now inserting information at a cellular level to influence tissue change. Imagine that every day you wake up, you have all these muscle cells waiting for input, ready for some sort of input to create a reaction. If I choose to go sit in a desk for 10 hours that day, all those muscle cells go, well, you're sitting, you are not moving your hip at all. I'm going to just stay here and make shit tight to make you more efficient at sitting. So that's why people feel super fucking tight 
over a long period of time when they're at a desk job for years, right? Whereas if I decide to do my cars routine every single uh, day, if I decide to do the three exercises I'm about to do and demonstrate um, on a daily basis, I'm constantly feeding information because remember like cells um, react to different things and specifically in this scenario, I'm talking about force. Force is gonna be the isometric contractions that we're gonna create in certain positions. And if I continually do that over and over and over again, those muscle cells are going to create more resilient tissue and more like smarter tissue as I like to call it. And that allows you to create more change at a structural level with your um, ligaments and tendons and things like that, which will allow you to um, get more range of motion, but more importantly, more control in those ranges. So that's the biggest thing that I see value to kin stretch and the FRC principles is that you gain control of your joint, your ligaments, your tendons, your muscles in those end ranges where most of the time injury occurs. So that being said, if we can continually influence at a cellular level for our tissue to be more resilient, we're literally building an ironclad body. We're building a bulletproof thing that we are in right now, our meat and bones. So then when we go to the gym or we pick up our dog from the ground or we pick up our kid, our body is resilient enough to withstand that external force. So without further ado, we are going to get into these three exercises that you should be doing every single day or at least a couple times a week to influence some serious change on those hips. So if you are just listening, I'm gonna do my best job to really describe what I am doing. But I highly suggest you hit the show notes after this and get to the probably, by the time I'm finished talking about explaining this, the nine minute mark of this episode to see the demonstration. So I'm gonna move my camera a little bit lower to get a better angle of what we're about to do. All right, oh, my back just cracked, that's amazing. Okay, let's maybe just adjust this a little bit more. Okay, so I am going to be in a seated position with my legs super wide. I really hope these pants are gonna do me justice. So if I'm in a seated position, my legs are gonna be super wide. And from here, I'm going to drop. I'm gonna go on a little angle so you don't have a full on crotch shot the whole time. I'm gonna drop both legs over to my left side. And actually, I'm gonna go this way. So on my left side. So this back leg, my knees in line with the hip, the knees in line with my ankle. My left leg's in front, my left ankle's in line with my knee, my knee's in line with my hip. Hence the 90-90 position. So we're going to stretch out our left hip into external rotation, and we're gonna stay here a while. But the way we can get into external rotation a little bit more effectively is with my lumbar spine, I'm going to arch it and almost try to push my chest out. And like if I had a Superman logo, I'm trying to show it off to the whole world. I'm then gonna use my hands to support, and I'm gonna lean forward 
until I feel a deep stretch in that left glute slash hip. What I don't want to see is people rounding their back, kind of like if you were doing a pigeon stretch in yoga, you're going to be a little bit more upright. So the more I can tilt that pelvis and that arching that low back, I am literally opening up my pelvis to get more into the deep stuff of the hip, which we're trying to influence. So in this position, I am holding this for two minutes. The reason behind the two minute mark, and again, you can do three, you can do four, but two minutes is usually the special number that they figured out that in at a cellular level, all the little stretch receptors are now shooting information back and forth waiting for instruction. And that's what we were kind of talking about before, about how we're going to be able to influence tissue change. Those muscle cells are waiting for information, excuse me, and we need to send some info with force. And how we're going to do that is we're in our end range. We are breathing deeply. I'm thinking belly breaths. Every inhale, I'm pushing against my thigh, and every exhale, I'm trying to hollow my diaphragm. We are going to create an isometric contraction on the outside of our joint. That being said, I'm going to think of driving my left ankle and left knee down into the ground as hard as possible. When I say that, I want you to think of going to your gym or picking up literally the heaviest object in your house or the heaviest weight in your house. But I want you to think that you're trying to lift, you know, a hundred pound dumbbell. Your body's not going to be loosey goosey to go pick it up. You're like, Oh shit, it's a hundred pounds. I need to like make sure everything's tight. My core is on and I'm going to pick that thing up. Same concept here. When I tell my people in kin stretch to start driving down a lot of times, they're not pushing down hard enough because I can see in their face. They're just like, it's like calm and relaxed. It needs to be like you're breathing hard. You're irradiating as much pressure as possible to drive that leg down to create an isometric contraction. It's like if you had your car in with the e-brake on with a fucking like 3,000 pounds inside it and you're trying to push it up a hill. You're using maximal effort to get there. That's what I want you to achieve. We're sending a signal to all those muscle cells. We're creating that um, isometric contraction. We're sending that force, that external force and load into the tissue itself. So I do this for 10 seconds. Another thing I do to kind of help people create tension is with their hands, they're pushing into the ground along with their leg. You do that for 10 seconds, you're gonna let go, but you're not gonna lean back like, oh shit, like that was fucking hard. You're going to throw yourself further into the stretch because anytime you do an isometric contraction, you kind of communicate to your nervous system to like take off that emergency break a little bit, right? So you'll notice that after you finish that contraction, you let go and you're like, oh, I can go a little bit further. From here with your new acquired range, we're now going to do an isometric contraction on the opposite side of the hip. So we just did the outside and now we're going to do the inside. So when I tell people to go again, we're going to do something called a rails contraction where we're driving our same left ankle and same left knee up towards the ceiling. And literally, it's not going to come off the ground, but you're going to do everything you got to lift that thing up. After trying to lift it, what I want you to think of, actually before that, what I want you to think of is try not to like lean back. So if I lean back here, I can lift this leg, no problem. But if I'm constantly pushing my torso forward, arching that low back and then try to lift, you're not going to go anywhere, but you're going to create a better contraction that's going to be worthwhile.
So after the 10 uh, seconds are up for both, so we do a 10 second contraction for pails, which is pushing down and 10 second contraction of um, rails to create that isometric contraction on both sides of the joint. Now, we've created all this change at a cellular level and at a nervous system level. We have this new range of motion. We need to reinforce that this is our new normal. That, you know, we are going to challenge this new acquired range for a nervous system to remember that we have this amount of range of motion. So the next thing, and this is still part of the first exercise, I kind of like layer this together. So what we just did was a 90-90 position for hip external rotation with pails and rails. Now we're going to do an active range lift off with this same leg. So we're going to challenge our um, hip external rotation actively. So from there, what I'm going to do is going to take my left ankle and think of lifting it up off the ground and then back down. If you're watching, you notice that my entire torso did not break apart. The only thing moving was my leg. I did not lean back because again, if I lean back, poof, this guy can go up no problem. I can hang out here all day. But if I'm trying to stay upright in this 90-90 position and now try to lift, it's a lot harder. Now I'm working my true active range within hip external rotation. So I'll usually do like five second holds five times. And then I'm gonna do the same thing on the other side where I hold the stretch for two minutes, pails contraction, rails contraction, and then the active range liftoffs. So we just covered hip external rotation. Freaking awesome, right? We're also going to do hip internal rotation. And this is where this stuff gets tricky. So I'm still in my 90-90. Say for argument's sake that, you know, I flipped over I did my other side, same thing, you know, did my little two minute stretch, pails, rails, contraction, contraction, 10 seconds. I did my liftoffs, everything's great. Now we're gonna do hip internal rotation. So if I now switched over sides, I have my right leg forward and my left leg back in my 90-90. Now to do hip internal rotation, I'm gonna take my torso and rotate it over to my left leg in the back this hip is already into internal rotation. I'm leaning further forward to get some stretch in this hip. What I see a lot is a lot of people feel uncomfortable because this is not a comfortable position. So a lot of times what I'll get people to do have less um, range of motion in their hips is they can stay back here and try to get their torso as straight as possible or they find that position where they try to rotate as much as possible, but keeping this nice and flat and then leaning in. So it's all kind of dependent on where you are with your mobility. Now, if I am leaning forward, I am again holding for um, two minutes. After the two minutes is done, I'm going to do a pales contraction. And in this case, I'm thinking about my left knee and left ankle again, pushing down as hard as possible. And then after the 10 seconds are done, I'm gonna to try to get further into the stretch. And then I'm gonna do a rails contraction, which is the opposite, where I'm driving my knee and ankle off the ground up towards the ceiling. 
Remember, it's not gonna come off the ground. It'll only come off the ground if I lean so far back and it's like, oh, look at that, no problem. If I'm here, it's gonna be really hard to lift and that's what we want. We wanna create an isometric contraction in this hip. And again, in this position, you can push your hands into the ground or what I like to do is create fists and squeeze the crap out of my fists. Sometimes I'll have tennis balls, lacrosse balls, massage balls, whatever it is. Squeeze, 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 squeeze to create more tension. Now, we've done all this work, influenced the tissue, influenced our nervous system to give us a little bit more range. Just like the other side, where we did hip external rotation and we were doing active range liftoffs, we gotta do active range liftoffs in hip internal rotation. So now I'm gonna rotate my torso to face the right. And from here, when I tell people in my class to lift, what you're gonna think about doing, keeping your left knee in contact with the ground, you're gonna lift your back ankle, holding it there, and then back down. I always tell people, in kin stretch, when your hands are up here by your chest and torso, makes things hard. When your hands place are, are placed down to the ground on both left and uh, right side, a little bit easier. If I lean over to my right hand, a little bit easier. And then if I go into my elbow like a side plank, even easier. So I always tell people, you gotta find a position where when I tell you to lift, you're not like, oh my God, and I'm leaning forward to get more. And this is not where it is. You wanna be in this upright position. When I tell you to lift, boom, you're lifting into internal rotation actively. And again, five second holds, and that's gonna do a lot of great things. What will happen, and I see this a lot, when people are new to kin stretch, to FRC, whatever it is, I see this in class all the time, I'll tell people, all right, lift, and then huge cramp in this outside of the hip, people do this thing, they're like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? And essentially what that means is you're sending a signal to your body, and your brain's sending the signal to all the muscles involved in hip internal rotation actively and they still don't really understand what the hell you're talking about. So they go, okay, well, I see that you want me to do something. It's not really coming out clear, so I'm gonna cramp, and hopefully that's what you want. It's not what we want, but that's kind of like a neurological, um, I guess, response, and you gotta fight through it. Like a lot of times, you know, you have to practice, 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 and it's kind of the, what's it called? The, the lane or the, the pathway to actually having full control over your body. Now we just did hip external rotation, hip internal rotation, and now we gotta do hip extension. So again, remember, hip extension is any time you extend your hip, so things like deadlifts, glute bridges, running, sprinting, all require adequate hip extension. And if you're doing lunges, you're putting your hip into extension. A lot of times people feel super, super, super tight on the backside of their thighs, so their quads, their hip flexors. So in this case, you want to work hip extension with pails and rails. So one of my favorite ways of doing this and because my floor is a little bit, um, well, not the floor, but the uh, space that I have is a little bit uh, hard on the knee, I highly, highly recommend that you have 
the mat or something for your knees. So essentially what we're going to do, and hopefully I have enough room here, I'm going to have my right knee down and left leg forward, kind of like a hip flexor stretch, but we're not going to just do a hip flexor stretch. What we're going to do in this position, we're almost going to go into a runner's pose. And I want this back knee to be as my pants are tight. <laughs> so I don't rip these. So I'm going to try to get my leg into almost like a runner's pose. And I'm literally just pushing my hip down. So in this position, I am working hip extension. I'm going to hold this for two minutes, just like the other two. After the two minutes, I'm going to create a pales contraction where I'm going to push my knee into the ground. But how I'm going to do that is I'm going to drive my heel up towards my bum. And now I'm going to think of driving this knee forward into the ground as hard as possible. I'm squeezing my ass as hard as possible. Hold, 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 hold. And from there, I'm going to dip down a little bit further because I just communicated to my nervous system. And then my rails, I'm going to think of taking my heel up towards the ceiling and trying to get my knee off the, the mat. But it's not going to come off the mat. But again, we are trying to create an isometric contraction. So if I try to do that right now, you can almost see like my glute turns on and I'm trying to drive it up. And this is really freaking hard. But this is how I'm getting that isometric contraction for all my hip extenders. I'm holding, I'm holding, I'm holding, and I'm relaxing. Now, we just did a lot of great stuff for hip extension, and now I need to challenge it. So, a great way to do that is I'm going to be lying down in a prone position. I think you guys can still see me. Both my high hands are going to go on top of each other. And I know it's kind of got out of the frame, but it's more so to see um, my legs doing the work. So my forehead is going to be down. I'm going to take my right heel, because that's the one that I just worked on. I'm going to think of squeezing my glute first and going into hip extension. So again, my forehead is going to be down. and I'm just holding this isometrically. Hold, 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 and then back down. What I don't want to see, and this is how people cheat, is they'll lift, but they open up their hip to get more. You want to think of having the two bony parts of your pelvis pushing down into the ground, and then you're just working on hip extension. What I don't want to see is the knee bend. You want to keep it nice and straight, and you're squeezing, 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 hold, back down. Squeezing, 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 hold, back down. So now we just challenged our new acquired range for hip extension. So, little note on that guy because I see this all, a lot in my kin stretch and even my clients that I train. When people have terrible glutes, just that don't fire or turn on or activate, they'll tend to feel it in their hamstring and low back. What that tells me is that their body just doesn't understand how to extend the hip through the glute. A lot of it, I just tell people like, slow down, think with your brain that, okay, I need to squeeze my ass. I need to squeeze my ass and now I'm going to lift my heel up. And a lot of times it's learning how to make that brain and muscle connection. And it does take time. Sometimes I'll tell people to like lift up, hold it for like 10 seconds. Cause sometimes the longer it is, you have more time for your brain and muscles to kind of figure out what the hell's going on. And, um, over time it will improve, but sometimes it just doesn't work and you need to 
throw in a different exercise. But for the sake of this video, because we're almost reaching um, 30 minutes, I'm gonna keep it with those three. So we have hip external rotation, and then for pails and rails, and then we have those active range liftoffs. We have our hip internal rotation, and then we have those hip internal rotation um, active range liftoffs. Then we had our hip extension pails and rails, and then we had the prone uh, hip extension active range liftoffs. So that being said, if you did this like once a day, so all that time, right? You have three exercises, two minutes each, and the active range liftoffs, this will take less than 10 minutes. If you did this every single day, once a day, guaranteed in three months, you're going to see a huge difference, huge difference in your squat, in your running, in your lunging, in like anything that deals with hips. Like sometimes people just don't want to put in the effort and this is, this is like, it, it, you got to grind it out over and over and over again. And these are the ones that I use in my classes all the time. And people already say like that are consistent once a week that after a month, they're like, yeah, my hips feel awesome. My shoulders feel awesome because we're also getting shoulder things in there. But primarily like hips is the epicenter of our bodies. It requires a lot of mobility and movement. And, you know, if we constantly focus on those three kind of positions and variations of those positions, hip mobility is taken care of. So I'm gonna leave it there. Hopefully that was helpful. Uh, let me know if you have any questions and in the comments, like on YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, like write a comment, I will respond back and give you some feedback, give you some other exercises that could help. But these three are like prime, like this is what you need. Um, so all those people listening, hit the show notes to watch this and also make sure you subscribe to my channel because I post a lot of stuff and I'm going to be probably by next weekend. I have, I think close to a hundred tutorials that I need to film and I'm going to be uploading those a lot in the next upcoming months because I need them for my ebook. So look out for that. Um, hit the show notes as well, add me on Facebook and Instagram, because again, I post a lot of videos, a lot of photos that you need to be able to see, not just listen to my podcast. Um, and again, share my podcast with friends and family. I feel like I haven't said that in a while. Um, and also make sure that you, um, you know, give me a five-star review for my podcast so they can reach more people. And again, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting me. Like it's been four freaking years on this. I'm almost at half a million listens on my podcast, which is super cool. And just thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. You guys are amazing. Until next time, I'm going to continue giving you the best fitness advice out there. And you guys just fucking crush it. You guys are amazing. I love you all. Till next time. What is up my podcast listeners and my YouTube subscribers and all my other followers over social media. Um, this is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I am bringing back another great episode about hip mobility. Um, so I've done, I believe, one episode about hip mobility and what you can do. 
And, you know, the hip overall is a complex joint. It can move in so many different directions. So like the, you know, the three exercises I gave before just kind of scratches the surface on what the hip is, you know, capable of. And, you know, sometimes you need to indirectly um, attack the hip in order to, you know, get it to move the way you want. Um, a couple things before we move into, um, you know, the exercises, things like that. Um, this is actually what's interesting. This is the first time I haven't like rambled about random shit before starting an episode. Anyway, um, those who are listening 100%, you should probably watch this episode um, on video through my YouTube channel. So hit the show notes and watch it because uh, it's going to be very interactive in a sense that I'm going to be demonstrating, explaining, and things like that. Um, the hip. If you have um, painful hips right now, um, some of these exercises might not be good for you. Um, if your hip has been bothering you for a long time, you should probably go see a physio, chiro, massage therapist, somebody who can manually do something to kind of open up the opportunity for exercise. I'm not saying that, you know, exercise in itself is not gonna help. It will, but to a certain point. But this is what usually happens is when in, in a clinic setting, when I am uh, with a patient, um, you know, sometimes they will be in that, you know, flared up state or their hip has been always painful for so long and no matter what exercise I give them, there's always gonna be some sort of pain and you have to dial it back so much to make it really specific for them. Sometimes that first line of defense is okay, okay, let's get that you know inflammation stage down because no matter how many exercises I layer on top, it might not be the best approach. But but this is where you know everything's individual. You know, I've worked with patients where everything hurts, but then we find you know, a different way of doing a hip mobility exercise that's actually gonna work for them. So that being said, we can kind of move on. Say for example, you don't have an acute pain um, or chronic pain and you're basically like at that point where you're like, fuck, my hips are tight. I need to fucking move them, do something to have more hip mobility. Um, and they only hurt if I you know, squat too low, or if I do a lunge, my also my knee hurts for some reason, like that kind of stuff we can work around. So anyway, um, we're gonna look at hip flexion. So hip flexion, if you can remember, is anytime I move back, anytime I say take my right leg and drive my knee up, I'm flexing my hip, and that is hip flexion. Um, a lot of times when I see, um, a limit or a restriction in hip flexion, other things tend to compensate. Um, and usually what happens when people don't have adequate hip flexion, um, the low back, especially the lumbar spine, kind of make up for it. And this is the thing about low back pain too. Um, probably 90% of the case um, when people have low back pain or issues, it stems down from you know, um, a restriction in hip mobility. Because if you look at the um, design of our hips, they're meant to be a mobile joint. If you look at the lumbar spine, 
it's designed to be a stable joint. And if you look at how much, you know, your lumbar spine can actually rotate to the right, it's 13 degrees. So now imagine your hips that don't move at all um, now is asking your lumbar spine to do all the work when you're only working with 13 degrees, there's gonna be a lot of compression and shear forces and rotational forces on that spine. Um, and then again, you know, my podcast is called Cut the Shit, Get Fit, but you can't get fit if you don't have fully functioning joints, right? And I've said this so many times on my podcast, like, you know, you're excited to get started on your fitness journey and you start going to the gym, but then like your hip hurts, your fucking elbow hurts, and then you have to take some time off, and then you come back to the gym, and then you re-injure it or flare it up again, and then you're like, fuck, it hurts, I have to take more time off, and you know, it's that vicious cycle, and then a lot of people's motivations go down. So if it's something where, if we can fix, in quotations, um, you know, how your joints function, to allow you to do more days in the gym will then get you out of pain and into the gym more consistently and you know over a year span like if you took a whole year and say you have that weird elbow thing that flares up once in a while and out of that year you're missing say three months worth of training because you have to take time off you're not getting it looked at you're not doing the right rehab you're not doing the right exercises meant for you then that's three months lost where you could have, I don't know, dropped a pound, three pounds, five pounds, who knows, right? So this is why I'm a huge advocate on, let's create a really good foundation, continue working on all the like basics that we really need um, when it comes to being a human being and moving the way we should and allowing us to have uh, more opportunities opportunities, did I say that incorrectly? Opportunities um, in the gym to move our bodies. But um, anyway, we're gonna talk about um, hip flexion. So if you did an audit of the general population, we sit way too fucking much. And we're stuck in hip flexion all the fucking time. So then our hip flexors become super tight. And when we do hip flexion stuff in the gym, outside, everyday life, whatever it is, um, those hips kind of get cranked on over and over and over again and low back tends to hurt or you know, pinching feelings in the hip socket, things like that. So what is my first kind of um, plan of attack? So I, like, there's a different, there's a couple of ways I'm gonna get into this. So the first thing I'm gonna look at is um, your diaphragm. So this is where my passion for anatomy comes in, is that the moment you understand anatomy is when you can devise um, you know, a pretty solid plan in order to get someone to move better or finding a you know, different way of doing things. So if you look at your hip flexor, your psoas major, it literally, you know, goes from the front of your hip where like the big bony area is all the way and i'm actually gonna move the camera so you can see what i mean um so hip flexor i'm pointing to my right hip it goes here and where it ends is right about here so look at this 
giant ass muscle that connects literally right at the bottom of like where your rib cage is and where your hip is. So we have this big strand of muscle that we need to kind of like attack. And how we do this, if you look at anatomy, your diaphragm kind of sits right over here, right? Right around where my shirt says get fit. Underneath is where the psoas major connects and kind of interweaves fascially and with two ligaments, or I think it was two tendons, right around like T10, T9, T11. And there's anatomical differences in everybody. So fuck, it could be T12, who cares? Anyway, diaphragm and hip flexor, where we were pointing, directly related. Huge, huge, huge influence on each two, on each of them. So now we take this general population person that sits all day like this on their desk, on their computer, all fucking day. Being in a stressful, a stressful um, environment that most of us are in when it comes to work, because um, again, I would probably estimate that 90% of the people that have a full-time job are probably not psyched to go there on Monday morning, right? We haven't probably, and this is going to be another podcast about finding like your passion and doing what you're meant to do on this planet. But anyway, you're probably in a stressful situation. And, you know, if you think about it, in stressful situations, you probably don't breathe through your diaphragm. You're probably breathing through this kind of region up in your chest. All those accessory muscles into your neck and traps become super tight and you wind up kind of here. And then you start breathing through your chest because you're a stressful individual at work and diaphragm kind of turns off. And again, if you think about that position, we're here and everything starts getting tight. So we have now the fascial lines, the tendons and ligaments surrounding our diaphragm and um, what's it called? Our hip flexor getting a little bit tighter. And you know, our diaphragm is a muscle. And what happens to a muscle when you don't use it? It becomes weak. It goes into something called atrophy where it loses its uh, strength and size and things like that. And now you're almost like hypertonic and all these accessory muscles in the neck and the shoulders and everyone's kind of like just jacked up like this. And you know, your nervous system puts on this like emergency break on everything. And like, no wonder people are always fucking stressed, right? So my first line of attack of improving hip flexion is focusing on this diaphragm because it's connected, right? And this kind of goes into this whole theory of bioflow where, you know, we're not just you know, one muscle does this motion, you have to focus on that muscle. Like, you know, yeah, me doing a bicep curl is primarily my bicep. But what about like, from my wrist, all the way to my elbow? Like, don't you think those muscles have some sort of role doing this motion? Don't you think the muscles in my hand have some sort of role squeezing the dumbbell? Don't you think like the front of my shoulder right in here has some sort of role into doing this motion. Don't you think all the muscles back here, my rotator cuff have some sort of influence on that motion? Like people need to start thinking that we are one muscle working together to produce movement, right? That's huge, 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 huge 
to start thinking that way. So, with the diaphragm, we need to reteach um, how to breathe. And I'm going to show a couple exercises um, that I use in the clinic all the time and in like warm ups with my clients. So, we're going to move this guy further down. I really hope that I get through everything today because I have a feeling that this is going to take a little while. All right. Hopefully, you can see me on the floor. So, really simply, if I was laying down, I'm going to have one hand on my belly, one hand on my chest. And this usually starts as an assessment. If I tell a patient, okay, I want you to take three deep breaths in for me, it usually looks like this. Like one, it sounds like a labored breath and I'm like, holy shit, that's how you breathe. And you can literally see their shoulders and chest come up and then I'm like, okay, now the next couple breaths, I want your bottom hand where your belly is to only rise and nothing in this up, upper hand. And then they go, okay. And like, they can't even think how to get that to work. Like, there's almost like a miscommunication between diaphragm and brain. And they're like, holy shit, why is this hard? And what you should see is this. So every time I take a deep breath in, I have this big, 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 big belly. And now what happens is when I start learning how to breathe through that diaphragm nice and slow, a lot of good things happen. Let me explain what we're doing. Number one, if you look at anatomy again, um, your vagus nerve, that goes literally from your brain um, down straight through your diaphragm. When the diaphragm expands and contracts back and forth, it stimulates that vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is responsible for de-stressing your body naturally, right? So that's why in yoga, they're like, breathe. Now breathe some more. Now breathe even more, right? When we take the time to focus on utilizing our breath the way it's designed to through our diaphragm, good things tend to happen. Now, think about my example again in yoga. When they, the instructor tells you to breathe deeply, what happens when you're holding a pose or a stretch? You notice that you can get a little bit further. What is that? Like, what, why is that happening? So again, we are stimulating the vagus nerve through our breath, and we're telling our nervous system to chill the fuck out. Because when we don't practice that breath, our whole body goes into that kind of like gripping state, and we can't relax. So your body goes, I'm going to put tension around certain muscle groups or whatever it is, your entire body, to protect you from danger. Right? And sometimes the way our bodies are designed sometimes do more damage than good, right? Like the intention is, you know, for the good for good reasons, but in this case, we're creating unnecessary tension or like that emergency break kind of response. So if I can tell my nervous system to chill the F out, 
now I have more movement opportunities or movement capacity or more workspace for my joints to move. So now that I'm stimulating my diaphragm with breathing, I can now loosen up some tension on maybe that insertion area of where my um, hip flexor is, right? So now my diaphragm is moving better. The surrounding ligaments and tendons and fascia don't have tension. So now that tension is now being relieved from that hip flexor a little bit and voila, my hip can move a little bit more freely. So breathing is like number one that I do with everybody. And I always start in that supine position, but we can do it in so many different ways. So another way where um, someone's having a little bit of trouble with um, uh, lying in the supine position, we also go prone. So I do this in my kin stretch class a lot, uh, a lot, where I am on my belly and I just hit my door. That's all good. Um, hands across, my forehead goes onto my hands, and I'm breathing. Just simple breathing and all you have to tell yourself or tell your client or whatever it is that every deep breath in you want to push into the ground so it's going to look like this so you I don't know if you guys can see but every inhale that I had um, my whole body almost came off the floor, right? So you wanna think of being able to lift yourself off the ground when it comes to breathing. And being in that position, in an extended position, is also gonna help indirectly with um, hip flexion capabilities. So if you think about it, when we sit all fucking day, our spine is in flexion. And a lot of low back people are flexion intolerant because of it. So now if I put your spine into extension, where we have an opportunity to let the discs kind of, not float back, but kind of go back to a more centrated position within the vertebrae, now we have less pressure of like a bulging disc pushing onto um, nerve endings, causing pain, and we're also, again, telling the nervous system to chill the F out, so then we have less tension in that low back and hip region, which again will allow you to move more freely and effectively with your hips, right? So it, it stems and kind of um, has a global effect on so many other things, right? We're talking about hip flexion, but hip flexion, if you improve it, other things will improve as well. Um, where else I gonna go with that? So breathing, <laughs> huge, 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 huge. The second thing that I'll do with um, working for hip flexion is attacking hip extension. The reason being is if I am in a seated position for 10 hours a day, all the surrounding uh, tissues that um, allow me to flex my hip are going to be tight and I need to get um, extension because those muscles are probably not being challenged at all. And one of my favorite ways is doing pails and rails. So again, if you never heard that term, pails and rails means progressive angular isometric loading. And then rails is the opposite where it's regressive angular isometric loading, meaning we're creating a isometric um, load into the surrounding tissues of the joint. So if I can influence force into these tissues, I can influence at a cellular level 
to allow the muscle cells to adapt to be more pliable or mold them to be more, um, I guess, smart in a sense, right? To give you more um, active range of motion that, you know, you created actively and not passively. So I think I brought this up before on my um, show. And one of my favorite ways to get hip extension is going into almost like a runner stretch into this position. And I like to use a yoga block for my wrists here. So what we'll do in this position is hold it for two minutes. After the two minutes, we're going to do our pales contraction. The way we're going to do this is um, driving our heel towards our bum. And this kind of um, shifts the knee joint so it's a little bit flatter to the floor. If this hurts, you need to put some padding and things like that underneath. So in this position, the pales is going to be my knee driving down into the ground, but I'm trying to think of driving my knee forward, kind of like if I was going to like knee someone in the face. So I'm going to work the front of my hip capsule by doing hip flexion, right? I'm isometrically loading my hip flexors in this position. So I want to do that for 10 seconds. After the 10 seconds are done, you're going to notice that you'll be able to get further into hip extension. And then our rails is going to be thinking of taking this heel and driving it up towards the ceiling. And you want to literally think of lifting your knee off the ground. So to do that, I'm going to squeeze my ass as hard as possible to lift up towards the ceiling. So now I'm getting all my hip extenders um, challenged and I'm creating an isometric contraction on the opposite side of the hip. This is going to change a lot when it comes to tissue quality and tissue um, tension. Um, I use that a lot in my hip, um, kin stretch uh, workouts and classes I teach every week and it does wonders, just wonders. Cause like think about the amount of hours an average person, like I sit a lot cause I'm always working on my laptop and my hip flexors are fucking tight, <laughs> like tight. And um, you know, doing hip extension stuff is indirectly going to influence getting more hip flexion. Because an example of that is, and I'm gonna have to make this a little bit higher to show you the example. So if I was standing from a side view, if I'm trying to drive my knee up into hip flexion, you know, one of the issues is going to be having adequate um, active range of motion through this hip, but it's also the opposite hip as well that's supporting me. Like if all of this stuff on this opposite side of the hip is tight too, then this hip is not going to be able to get into enough hip flexion. What's going to happen is as I drive up, this will happen. And now this compensation pattern of my low back going into more flexion to give me more hip flexion, and then this other leg that's the left knee is bent, I'll end up looking like this, right? So attacking the other um, hip by doing that pails and rails for hip extension will help tremendously, right? So it's not just like just the one hip that we're focusing on, it's gonna be two at the same time because it's like brother and sister, like they yin and yang, like they, they have to kind of work together simultaneously and not, um, you know, what's that called? There's a fly in my face. Um, you can't focus just on one, you need to focus on the other. And if one has more mobility than the other, then the other one is going to 
try to compensate with other weird patterns. So the other way to improve um, mobility in the hips when it comes to hip flexion is also strengthening up the hip flexors, right? So when hip flexors are tight, they're not gonna have a lot of um, power to them, right? So one of the ways that I like to um, strengthen hip flexors, and I'm actually gonna show two different ways, um, my band is actually like a band resisted um, hip flexion, almost like a dead bug. And even those people who do dead bugs, they'll find a lot of times that, you know, their hip will start clicking or they just feel it in their hip flexors. And it's like, we also need to strengthen up those tight hip flexors. Um, so an easy way to do that is, you know, mini band around the feet. And then from this position, I like to also take my hands and push them into the ground. And from here, I'm gonna kick my left leg out straight to work hip extension. And at the same time, I'm driving this knee up towards my face, holding it isometrically for about 10 seconds, come back, and then the same thing on the other side, holding, 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 holding for 10 seconds. So that is going to strengthen up those um, hip flexors quite a bit and also kind of create this like active component of an isometric contraction, which again, um, will have more of a global effect, right? The more tension I can create, kind of like the pails and rails in an isometric contraction, the more I'm gonna influence at a tissue, at a tissue level and a cellular level. Um, and the other one that I really enjoy that people fucking hate in my class is a active range um, liftoff in hip extension and hip flexion. So how that's gonna work, um, you're gonna need a dowel. And again, uh, think of a little like foam pad. And I'm gonna be in a half knee just to protect my knee. This tends to work uh, a little bit better when the dowel is on the same side of the leg that's working. So if you look from a side view, I'm in hip extension and I can work this hip, my hip flexor, um, by tilting and squeezing my bum and driving the toe into the ground. But that's kind of like a secondary um, focus because we're gonna be focusing on this right leg its ability to actively um, perform hip flexion. And this is kind of just like a bonus. And remember what I said earlier, like we need to focus on hip extension on the opposite side in order to have adequate hip flexion. So what I like to do here is as I tell people in my kin stretch class to drive this knee up as high as possible, they wanna think of driving this opposite left hip forward in order to not cheat, and then this opposite hand into a fist, and this dowel pushing into the ground. So when I tell people to lift, it's like lift this knee as high as fucking possible towards the ceiling without this happening. So I'm pushing my hip forward, I'm holding, I'm holding, I'm holding, and relaxing. So again, similar to the like dead bug um, banded thing that I did, it's kind of the same thing, but more so in an active way where you know, it resembles what you would do something more athletic, because if you think of like, say sprinting, right? One hip complements the other in order to propulse, like produce force going forward. Um, I don't know why I was trying to say propulsion, propulsion, something like that. Anyway, driving up, back down.
driving up back down. And that's where like the magic's gonna kinda happen when it comes to creating a plan of exercises to improve hip flexion, right? I know this was like a heavy episode on like anatomy and everything like that, but if you're um, noticing that your lunges and squats don't feel right, there's most likely a high chance that you need more hip flexion and extension. And all these exercises that focus on hip extension are indirectly going to focus on extension at the same time. And I think this is where a lot of people don't focus enough time because they're doing like hip mobility exercises like hip cars or um, a glute stretch. And they're, they're like, yep, that's good, right? But that's similar to like if I only focused on bench press in the gym. Like there's gonna be an imbalance, and I put that in quotations, right? We need to focus on the opposite movement, right? Your hip can do flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, circumduction, like all those things. So we need to focus on all those different movement pathways. If we focus more on one than the other, then we're lacking, right? Remember, the hip is a complex um, joint and we need to address it a little bit more directly. Um, so if you have any questions, because this was a, a jam-packed episode of information, um, feel free to reach out. Um, if you have hip pain with any of these, highly recommend you go see a practitioner. Um, if you have a question specifically of one exercise, why it's better than the other, why didn't I use this exercise instead, like hit me up, let me know. Um, hit the show notes, watch this episode if you are listening, um, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, we're at like 320 subscribers. That's freaking awesome. Let's get to 400. Share this YouTube channel. Um, I've been putting out so much new content. Uh, my book is almost ready. I'm just trying to figure out when I'm going to release it. It might not be summer. It might be uh, in the fall, but it really, really depends on a few things. Um, add me on Facebook. Add me on Instagram. You guys are amazing. Until next time. What's up, podcast listeners? Your host, Profound Metashevsky, for another edition of the podcast and video thing that I've been doing and posting on my YouTube. And shout out to everyone who's been listening and subscribing. And once again, I'm going to say it over and over again. If you are listening, 100% hit the show notes and watch this video because it's going to be um, quite visual and I'm going to do some demos and also some exercise selection things that you can do at home before your workouts and your warm-ups whatever it is and uh, also subscribe um, so we're going to do some shout outs because I always tend to forget and hopefully my laptop works here um, so 100% I am going to butcher this name and I feel terrible but I am one of those people that can't pronounce things apparently. Um, so really cool, the last 24 hours, um, this one city out in Mexico has been listening to my show 441 times. Oh, here I go. Tuxtla Gutierrez, 
100% butchered that. I apologize. So anyone from Mexico, please reach out and let me know how to pronounce it correctly. And I've done that one more t uh, once before. It was like a city out in Sweden or someone. And someone actually on my Facebook reached out and just sent like a little voice clip and memo of how to pronounce it. So shout out to that person who did that like, I don't know, a year ago. Um, and then my number two most listened city all the way in Colorado, the city of Boulder. And number three, all the way in California, the city of San Francisco. So, funny enough that San Fran is my third most listened city. Because literally a year ago today, I was in San Fran for my functional release seminar. And it was literally the last conference thing that I have went to where you actually got to travel and it's kind of surreal that this whole pandemic now is like reaching its one year milestone for many of us when it comes to looking back a year ago today. But anyway, onwards and upwards, as they say, um, what we're going to talk about today is knee pain, because honestly, I think as much as everyone would like to think that, you know, they've done a good job trying to stay pain free. We've all kind of experienced either some serious knee pain or just some knee pain that is annoying and you've had to modify a lot of exercises and things like that. And I want to get into kind of like the anatomy of it, why it matters, um, common reasons why people get knee pain and kind of wrap it all up with some suggestions and some exercise prescription and things like that. And I think probably the biggest thing when it comes to knee pain is figuring out why, because most likely it's going to happen again. And I think a lot of us who've gone to either a physio, chiro, massage, whatever it is, a lot of times when it comes to knee pain, they tend to treat just the knee itself and again like that's a good thing to do to kind of lower inflammation and like you know the quality of the pain so then when you leave the clinic you can actually walk and not feel completely destroyed but there's usually a um an underlying issue that's got to look on the bigger picture so in my industry or i don't even know where i stole this saying from but um the knee joint is considered the stupid joint because it's usually dictated by the hip and the ankle. So usually when I see a patient or I have a client dealing with knee pain, right away I'm looking at how um, the hip and ankle move and the surrounding musculature. And then I also look at the knee itself because the knee needs to be able to move and I'm kind of explain why. So um, this is where the laptop is going to come super in handy. Because um, again, I'm a huge visual learner. And when it comes to anatomy, me just saying, you know, um, muscles doesn't really help anyone. And I feel like a lot of times when people are at, um, what's it called, uh, conferences or whatever, and people yell out a yellow say out a muscle name and everyone's supposed to know what that is but um just like last time i'm really hoping that you guys will be able to see this so this guy right here 
well, you can see the ring light. Oh, there you go. That looks better. Um, so this is the sartorius muscle. So if you can see, I'm trying to get the ring out of there. Ooh, my laptop is super dirty. But you can see how the red line is kind of focused on where the muscle is. You can kind of see where it attaches from the hip to the knee. And the interesting thing about the sartorius or the next muscles I'm going to be kind of talking about is that the fact that they cross two joints. So it already shows how much influence now that this hip that may not be working the way it should um, is influencing the knee. So we already have one muscle that we're going to be talking about and some other ones down the line about how it influences our movement, right? Um, so if you think about one giant muscle literally running from your hip all the way down to your knee, we already have kind of a clue of where to go. So now I'm thinking, okay, what other, you know, muscle out there in the hip slash knee region would be also connected? So let's pull up the quadricep muscle. So again, stupid ring light. So the green, you can see how it's connected to our pelvis and then it goes all the way down to the knee. Another great example. And I think for most of us, you know, sitting at a desk all day, we can assume that those quads are quite tight. And if you are like anyone else out in the world, foam rolling, and you get to your quads, I think all of us go, oh shit, that's tight, ooh, that doesn't feel good. And then you wonder why a lot of people end up having hip pain, I mean not hip pain, sorry, knee pain. Um, the other one that I wanna bring up as well is the muscle called the gracilis. So if you, again, you can see past my damn ring light. Pelvis, inside of the pelvis is basically an adductor. It goes across, again, inside towards the knee. So I've already brought up a bunch, well, three muscles so far, um, how they're connected to the knee. So now imagine those three muscles are not functioning the way they should. They might have some tightness and that's in air quotes and that's going to influence how the knee moves. So for example, if I know that my quads are super tight and I'm trying to do an exercise like a reverse lunge and I actually want to demo that. So I'm going to move this guy and hopefully I don't mess anything up. So, actually, I'm going to make this go a little bit lower. Thank you for bearing with me. So, we are looking at my right leg. If I know that my quad goes from the hip down over towards my knee, and I know that these guys are super tight because I'm in this position all day, and I go into a reverse lunge, and all of this is now being stretched, and I go down into that reverse lunge, I'm going to start feeling that tightness going all the way down from my hip down towards my knee. So if I allow my muscle to, again, air quotes, stay tight, things like reverse lunges, jogging, running, like anything that requires you to do hip extension is probably not going to be um, the best feeling. And that knee is going to kind of take on a lot of that pressure. Now, if we think about this atorius that goes from the hip across 
and then down into the inside of the knee. And we're also thinking about the gracilis that goes from the inside of our pelvis down into the inside of our knee. And we're trying to do, let's say, lateral lunges, lateral split squats. We're trying to play soccer and all these guys are tight. And that allows our knee to flex and extend because it goes across this way. And this is one of the reasons why in my um, kin stretch class, I do a lot of adductor work because people just have no control over it. So actually a simple um, exercise that I tend to give a lot in my kin stretch classes for um, this specific reason, and I'm going to try to get this nice and low so you guys can see. So if I was in my 90-90 position with my left leg in front, really simply all I get people to do in my kin stretch class is to demonstrate their active range when it comes to one hip flexion and um, adductor um, strength actively lifting it up off the ground. So essentially all I tell people to do is to think of getting their left ankle in this case to lift off the ground and hold and isometrically hold it without like leaning back, caving in or anything like that to get these guys stronger. And as we get this guy moving and grooving a little bit better, adding knee extension and flexion, because again, like the thing like the satorius, the gracilis, they're all on the inside that cover our knee. Also our quad again, goes from our hip down over onto our knee. So when it comes to the relation of these uh, muscles that cover two joints, it's probably quite important to also demonstrate not only um, what they can singularly do just at the knee, but also at the hip. So in this case, I'm adding hip flexion. And now if I wanted to challenge those three muscles, it's also adding some knee extension and flexion to really focus on getting all those muscles um, actively moving uh, through both joints. And anytime I throw this exercise or any other kind of variation, utilizing those adductors and hip flexors that um, cross both joints, people have a really, really, really tough time with them. So now that kind of gets my brain kind of thinking like, okay, if people are having trouble with that, just lifting their own leg off the ground, when it comes to running, playing soccer, doing lunges, step-ups, back squats, deadlifts in the gym, something is going to have to give. And a lot of times it's the knee is going to take up the grunt of the work. And over time, it's kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And now I have soreness around the knee and it might be most likely due to the hip. So other than the muscles that I've just kind of spoke about, there's other ones surrounding the knee that will um, influence how much movement you get. And it's usually all the muscles in your hip that focus on hip flexion. So hip flexion, again, if you don't remember from previous videos, is when I drive my leg up towards the ceiling, I'm doing hip flexion. So if you think about what we do on a daily basis and sit all day, all those hip flexors are gonna end up getting quite tight. And when we have those hip flexors quite tight, it's going to influence how the pelvis moves, right? So if I'm trying to do any 
any exercise that requires my lower body. And if I don't have adequate hip mobility, again, the knee kind of takes the grunt of the work and it kind of sucks. So if you think about um, when I demos, demonstrated hip cars, it kind of goes through all the ranges that a healthy hip can do. So if you look here, how I coach hip cars, I also add adduction right off the bat. So kind of similar to what we did here in with the 90-90, as I'm driving my leg up, I'm going into adduction and external rotation, coming out of it, rotating around and behind. So in a healthy hip, all these ranges should be available with any kind of compensation. So when I do hip cars, you don't see anything else in my body move other than my hip. So going back and forth, I'm demonstrating what a healthy hip can do. So now imagine, you know, the average Joe where they sit all day and those ranges are not available to them. Again, the knee kind of takes the brunt of the work or worse, also the low back. So usually if you find yourself in that pain category where you're trying to move and feel better, you usually have two, I would classify three things, but the most common ones are um, low back pain and knee pain. And then the third one usually is like shoulder pain, all due to what's happening at the hip, right? And if you think about it too, it's like the hip is designed to be a super, super mobile joint. The low back is supposed to be designed as a stable joint and the knee as well is supposed to be designed as a um, stable joint. So if I, you have one joint in the middle between those, it's almost like a sandwich um, that's not doing its job. Now the low back and the knee have to make up for the lack of mobility through the hip. So now that we kind of looked at all the stuff that influences the hip, now we also have another um, kind of player to the game when it comes to knee pain, which is our ankle. So if you think about um, your ankle, it has quite a bit of different um, abilities to do certain movements. So if you think about, again, if you're lunging, walking, playing soccer, running, doing CrossFit, whatever it is, your ankles need some adequate um, ankle mobility. And if you can remember, hopefully you can see, um, ankles can either go into plantar flexion, so me pushing my toes straight, or dorsiflexion, driving my toes up towards my knee. So like a simple ankle mobility exercise is just me driving my front knee forward and back and kind of going through the range of angle dorsiflexion. So now if you think about it, um, even how I'm sitting right now in a deep squat, one, I need hip mobility to do that, and two, I also need really, really good ankle mobility. If I don't have ankles that move um, adequately enough, just enough in order for me to squat, um, lunge, step up, whatever it is, again, that knee's gonna take up all the work. And if you remember earlier, um, our knee is a stable joint and it wants to stay stable, but if it doesn't have um, hip mobility and ankle mobility, it's like a double whammy and now you're dealing with a lot of shit. <laughs> um, so looking at ankle mobility, um, simple things that you can do. One, um, ankle cars to get 
some motion in there. And ankle cars, I've posted before, but I don't think I've ever brought it up on the show. So if I have my right leg in front and my left leg bent, left hand goes through, right hand holds left hand, and I start drawing big, 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 big circles with my foot. And what's interesting too, is when I bring this exercise in my Kim stretch classes, almost everyone is really good going here into plantar flexion or dorsiflexion, but when it comes to like going onto the inside or outside limits to kind of create that circle, it almost is like choppy and like it's not a smooth movement because when is the last time have you ever really moved your ankle to those kind of like, if you look at my hand being flat and that's your foot, going into a, you know, inversion or eversion position and adding like abduction and adduction movements. Like, I don't think we've ever really done it because we always walk straight and never into lateral positions to kind of develop that movement. So now when it comes to like squatting, lunging, things like that, if we already know that those outer limits going into inversion, eversion, we're not that, um, let's say, you know, adequate at moving in those ranges. Again, that knee's gonna track in weird places and that can cause some pain. So like knee tracking, if you look at my knee, when I want to lunge or anything like that, it should kind of fall in line where my foot is pointing. And a lot of times when people don't have adequate ankle dorsiflexion where I can go forward and like when I test ankle uh, mobility in my assessment, the biggest thing is I get people in this half kneel position and just tell them, okay, to drive your knee as far forward as possible over your toe. And people with really good mobility is like, yeah, sure, no problem. But a lot of times our body's really, really, really good at cheating movement. I always say this. And it's sometimes a good thing and sometimes a bad thing. So what I usually see if I am in front of you, and I know I'm wearing all black and I should have worn different clothing, but a lot of times, if you look at my fingers, this is gonna to be to represent my knee. People start going forward and at your end range where your body goes, oh, you don't have enough ankle dorsiflexion, let me give it to you in a different way. So usually what happens, it comes forward and then the hip rotates out to give you more. So it's throwing you into almost internal rotation and that becomes like a movement behavior. So every time you're required to get enough ankle dorsiflexion, whole body goes into this position, kind of giving you a false sense of ankle dorsiflexion. And a lot of times that is something called a valgus collapse where the knee caves in. So if I was squatting, I didn't have one adequate hip mobility or enough ankle dorsiflexion or mobility in general, stuff like this happens to get more depth and just even a small little bit because sometimes it's not both knees it's usually just like the ones where i'm coming down in my squat and this will happen to get more and over time same problem say i'm doing lunges split squats it's just like a small little thing where it constantly caves in and you know straw that breaks the camel's back and now it's like okay the inside of my knee is really hurting so kind of moving forward in the next bit that's one of the most common things is people get pain on the inside of their knee due to that valgus collapse because it's just a moving behavior that your body kind of learned to give you a false sense of mobility. Now the other uh, most common kind of painful spot for a lot of people is on the outside of the knee. And again, that goes back to adequate hip mobility, enough ankle mobility, and 
usually what causes that if you look at the anatomy of kind of the top of the quad and let's actually I think I have a good photo of that just hang on here we're learning together you know this is great where is it so where are we so this guy totally stole it from a different website and you can see the copyright in the back but um, if you look on this side right here again freaking ring light and we look on the outside where we have our vastus lateralis mu muscle that kind of goes all underneath where the IT band is and like you know everyone talks about like IT band syndrome one you rolling out your IT band over and over and over again is not going to fix um your IT band syndrome it's probably just going to lessen the intensity but that band is designed to be super 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 tight like you can i can't remember the number but they've done a bunch of research where you know in order to loosen that it band like you almost need like two thousand two thousand pounds of force per square inch to actually like loosen it up so it's designed to be tight but that doesn't mean that the muscles of your hip that run down to the outside of the knee, if the, all of these are super tight, then that's going to kind of pull on all this stuff and even lightly touching the outside of the knee is going to hurt. So again, we're looking at hip mobility that's preventing you from doing certain exercises, certain movements that'll cause lateral knee pain. Now the other one, in my experience, not that common, but it does happen, is pain on the front side of the knee and usually again quads can be super tight causing the pain in here but usually like the front of the knee stuff is due to kind of a sports injury if you've had like an acl sprain tear things like that um, that causes quite a bit of discomfort and pain now what are some maybe like knee friendly exercises. Cause I get that question a lot. It's like, hey, if I've had knee pain forever, off and on, it's always been an issue. I've had my ACL reconstructed, whatever it is, right? So one, I kind of look at, okay, we need to have adequate hip mobility, adequate ankle mobility. And when those things are covered, now I'm looking at knee friendly exercises. So things like back squats, probably not gonna be a good idea. Things like lunges, probably not gonna be a good idea. Things like step-ups, probably not gonna be a good idea. So essentially anything that requires knee flexion is going to bug the knee like a bitch. Like think about all the muscular structure that we were talking about that kind of wraps around the knee. You bending it further, now you're lengthening all this tissue, it's not going to feel fucking great. So you're gonna to have to find things that don't aggravate it. And when we do that, when we find exercises that don't aggravate the knee joint that's causing you pain, it gives it time to settle the fuck down. And then you can start working on other stuff to improve the function of the knee, which we'll get to pretty soon. So anyone that I have that has knee pain, I look on, will look for exercises that don't require a lot of knee flexion. So something as simple as glute bridges. So if you look at the nature of the glute bridge, like, yeah, I'm in knee flexion, but most people with knee pain can get into this position without any pain. 
and we're just doing bridges. We can do single leg glute bridges. We can do feet elevated on a box or a bench um, glute bridges. We can do hip thrusts. We can do single leg hip thrusts. And from there, if we wanted to get a little bit more fancy, single leg deadlift. Like that's gonna be a huge player because one, it doesn't require a lot of knee flexion, doesn't require a lot of ankle dorsiflexion. So we're kind of on the clear there. Deadlifts in general are gonna be great um, substitution. We can do hamstring curls with a stability ball. We can do glute bridges off the stability ball. Like anything that kind of just keeps the knee in one kind of locked position almost. When you think about any kind of bridge variation, tends to help a lot. Now, looking at the knee joint itself. So if you um, think about it, um, the knee joint does have movement itself. So there's something like your um, shin bone, so your tibia that runs down to your ankle up towards your knee. It's able to actually like move within your knee joint itself. So when I am in a seated position and I'm kind of about to do ankle cards like we were talking about before. We can teach and also assess if we have adequate tibial rotation in order to lunge, squat, run, or all any lower body um, exercise. And when I have my kin stretch classes, this is the thing that people struggle the most. So I've kind of, based on my own experience, realized that two things. Number one, most people don't have adequate control over their knee joint and adequate um, uh, tibial rotation. And the other one is that people have limited tibial rotation, which throws a lot of things off when it comes to going to the gym. So what a knee car looks like is I drive my toes up towards my face. So now I'm locking out the ankle joint from any kind of movement and it's gonna be solely on just the knee joint itself. I'm also placing my hip into as much knee flexion as, um, not knee flexion, uh, hip flexion as much as possible to ensure that I'm only moving through the tibia. So if I rotate externally, I'm moving my tibia right now within the joint and I go back and forth just like this, almost like a little window wiper and I'm moving my tibia within my knee joint. And a lot of times, I wish I had a little sticky note, but if you think about it, if you look at my thumb, if I now rotate, now my thumb is out to the side, I rotate in, it's rotating in. So back and forth, I'm moving my tibia. Now think about this position that I'm in right now. It looks very similar to what we do in a daily basis at the gym. So what exercise forces you to go into hip flexion and ankle dorsiflexion, squats. So if you think about it from a standing position, I'm going into hip flexion and I'm needing ankle dorsiflexion. So what I'm actually doing is asking my body to get adequate tibial rotation. So what if, based on my experience again, in my kin stretch classes that basically everyone that <laughs> attends, and they do get better over time, has no control of how this tibia moves or they have limited tibial rotation, where's all the pressure gonna go? It's probably gonna go into your low back and it's probably gonna go into your knee over and over and over and over and over again when you're doing squats. 
And then on top of that, you've signed yourself up to a boot camp bullshit thing where you're doing squat jumps and burpees that all require adequate tibial rotation. So over and over and over, it's like a square pig in a round hole going through and now you have knee pain. So really, really when it comes down to how to fix knee pain is finding exercises that don't flare it up, which we've already went over to, and getting adequate mobility through your ankle and your hip, which we've already went through, and finding um, control over your tibia and getting um, a little bit more range of motion. So, exercise prescription for all those things. Hip cars, which I already demoed, would be number one. Um, hip 90-90 for external rotation. Finding your end range, holding it for two minutes. At the top of two minutes, you're gonna do pails and rails, meaning you're gonna drive your ankle and knee down into the ground as hard as possible for 10 seconds. After the 10 seconds, you'll realize you'll be able to go a little bit further because you just spoke to your nervous system asking for more range. From there, the next thing is your rails. So you're gonna uh, ask your nervous system again for more range of motion by thinking of driving this leg up off the ground without leaning back. And then you're gonna do the same thing on the other side. Then, for the ankles, you're gonna go into a half kneeling position, get into your end range of ankle dorsiflexion, flexion, pails and rails uh, after the two minutes, and essentially what you're gonna do for pails is you're gonna be driving your toes down into the ground as hard as possible for 10 seconds, release, get a little bit further, and then rails will be your toes going up for 10 seconds. And then, for tibial rotation, again, all of these have to be pain-free. If they're not pain-free, then you're not ready. You're gonna be in a half kneeling position. And guess what? You're going to rotate your foot in, keeping your knee where it is. And now we have some rotation into internal rotation of our um, tibia. And then pails and rails will be trying to push your foot against your, um, your fingers. And then rails will be trying to coming off it without lifting up the heel. And then you can do the same thing the other way. Pails and rails here, pails and rails here. Those three for creating more um, range of motion, as well as ankle cars, knee cars, hip cars, finding um, exercises that are not um, required so much knee flexion like I'm in right now, this deep squat. And over time, it will get better. It's just being patient. And again, yes, you can layer on top some um, physical therapy, chiropractic, whatever it is, to kind of speed up the process. But a lot of times it's just finding what works, keeping at it for a very long time, and the knee pain will go away. Again, the biggest thing when it comes to training around knee pain is to ensure you're not going through pain. And when pain is present, backing off and finding less range of motion within the exercise you're doing eliminating the um, exercise completely or something else. So that being said, that was a lot of information. If you have any other questions based on knee pain or your knee pain specifically, let me know and I'm happy to help. Um, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook and Instagram, subscribe to my YouTube channel. For all those who are listening right now, hit the show notes and watch this video. I do demonstrate quite a bit of stuff. And that's it for me. If you guys have any more questions, feel free to reach out. And that's it. Until next time.